What was one of the most difficult moments for you when building Finkra? Because hmm. when we started Quidex, it was no salary for the first nine months. Wow. So basically, like, you know, just living on vibes and my savings until <laughs> um, we started making revenue. So I was the only product manager, I was the only support person, and I was the only person in um, sales and growth. Right, so essentially, I could see the full scope of the business, and and I realized that you know lots of people that were buying and selling cryptocurrency back then were not just trading cryptocurrency for um, you know big profits or whatnot. Mm. So I just switched my focus. You know, told all the um, VCs, even the ones that committed, like, oh, I'm not fundraising anymore, and you know, we just grew revenue month on month, yeah. and I think. We're profitable. Um, we're profitable as at our eighth month into wow. the business. What's up, everybody? My name is Benjamin Fernandez. I'm the founder and CEO of Nala. I'm super excited today to be hosting one of my good friends, Wole from Finkra. Wally has built Finca in the last several years to expand to five different markets across Africa, processing billions of dollars and built a team from zero all the way to 70 people today. Wally, I'm super excited to have you. Welcome to the studio. Karibu Sai. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wally, so home is Nigeria. Yeah. Which city in Nigeria is home for you? Lagos. It has to be Lagos. It has to be Lagos. Yeah. Why does it have to be Lagos? Because, you know, Lagos is, um, Lagos is where the life that's where the life is. Yeah, that's yeah. where the life. I thought it was Lekki and all these neighborhoods and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I stay, I stay yeah. around Lekki, okay, in Lagos. Well, yeah, you know, everywhere in Lagos, even the um, everywhere in Lagos is. He said that's what the life is. Yeah, that's what the life is. Yeah, but why are you in Nairobi then? <laughs> Nairobi, just... Nairobi is my second home. Your second home in Africa. Yeah, okay, home. got it, got it. Cool. Uh, well, we're here right now in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. And uh, today I would love to jump into your journey. And so like, let's start, um, you know, with the beginning. So like uh, one, like how did you get into f uh, tech entrepreneurship? How did you get into FinTech? Okay, um, so um, it was actually through my friend. Um, I never really thought about going into tech or FinTech. Um, so early on after school, I started working with a bank with, um, with Stambic. Um, but, you know, I, I really hated it there. I loved the job, but I also like sort of hated the job because I was doing the same thing every day. And, you know, most of my friends knew. Um, so one morning um, by 4 a.m., I got a text from my friend um, Bucci saying, you know, the next opportunity um, is, you know, building out a platform for Africans to buy and sell crypto. You know, we didn't have any indigenous crypto exchange in Nigeria at the time and, you know, felt there was an opportunity to do it. I was like, you know, I'd like you to come on the journey. I saw the message and I replied in five minutes. Like, I'm in. I quit my job a few days later and, you know, joined as a co-founder. So that's how I got into fintech. Okay, so let's start right there. So in many people across the continent, um, you have a world where you have a lot of people who are very talented. Um, I, I think there's a lot of amazing people who have really cool ideas and things like that. And I'm sure you have people coming up to you saying, look, I have this amazing idea, but also have a family. I have kids. I have things I'm responsible for. Yes, I also work at a bank right now. I'd love to build Finkra as well, but 
how do I take that step of faith or that leap into quitting my job, knowing that I have all these other responsibilities at home and jumping to a startup where there's no guarantee of like even income? What advice would you have for them? Um, to be honest, is it's it's not very easy. Um, so I know I made the decision very easily then, but you know I think what what's, what, what made it easy for me was the fact that you know I was still pretty young, you know, just about two years out of the university. I was under not I was really under no pressure. I didn't have so much responsibility, um, although I had to. Um, it wasn't really a pay cut because when we started Quidax, it was no salary for the first nine months. Wow. So basically, like, you know, just living on vibes and my savings until <laughs> um, we started making revenue. So I know it's it's not very easy, particularly for people that have um, responsibility. So, um, but I mean, um, a lot of like um, greatest companies that have been um, built, you know, came out of, you know, people taking risks like that. Um, but I mean, one thing for sure is like you need, you need to have that conviction about what you're building because there are definitely going to be like a lot of low moments, right? Um, and you know, without that conviction, you know, it might end up basically being a bad decision, right? If you you know just jump in and you know leave that security. But how do you how do you build that conviction? So like, say okay, cool. I know this is a problem. Let's say even in the payment space, like okay, this. Just in African payments, I always say payments are 1% built because I think there's, you know, 500 things to be built. I, as Benji or Nala, will never be able to build all of them. And so that's why we need more and more people are going to be tech entrepreneurs on the continent building all these different solutions that are needed, right? But how do you get to that point where you get enough conviction? What is enough conviction into knowing that I'm going to quit and do this? Because even at the beginning, the idea evolved so much, right? Like, obviously, maybe you wanted to do this, but then, like, as you started to learn from customers, you changed it so often. So how, what advice would you have for somebody in order to build conviction? What would you say are the best two things or three things to do in order to gain conviction? Okay. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't say there are any, like, two, three things mm -hmm. um, required to build conviction. I feel like it's one of those things where, like, if you have it, mm -hmm. you would know. Right, it's just like you know, falling in love with someone, mm. or you know, how do you know that you're in love with someone? How do you know you want to get married to someone? You mm. just know, right? So, mm. I mean, some people might say, Oh, you know, there are some steps, but I don't really believe in that. So, I think with you know, the conviction of you know, starting a company, yeah, right, is one that you have to build because you know, it's not it's not just about um, the risk you're taking and, or whether it's, it fails or succeeds. Is also about um, the other people that are going to be responsible for, like your employees, mm -hmm. you know, um, your customers, right? So you have a responsibility to, you know, show up every day for these people. So you need to be sure, right? And I feel like if you don't know if that you have that conviction, then you don't. So if you have it, you know. So mm -hmm. um, that's that's what I think. Understood. So how do you go from Quidax to Finkra? Okay, that was um, quite an interesting journey. So, um, I mean, like Quidax um, definitely was where it all started. And I, I had a couple of interesting roles at um, Quidax, you know, that allowed me to see things from like different mm -hmm. perspectives. So as Quidax as co-founder, I was um, heading um, the product team, the business team, the customer success team, mm -hmm. the treasury um, and um, I was also um, jointly heading operations team. Um, yeah, I think that was about it. So I was basically in five teams as, you know, 
a key um, key stakeholder. Now, in five of those teams, I was solo in three of them. So I was the only product manager. I was the only support person, and I was the only person in um, sales and growth. Right. So essentially, I could see the full scope of the business, and and I realized that you know lots of people that were buying and selling cryptocurrency back then were not just trading cryptocurrency for um, you know big profits or whatnot. Mm. Right. So we had majority mm. of the people trading currency cryptocurrency because mm. they needed to make cross border payments. Mm. Right. And they found it to be um, a a seamless way, source of liquidity. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. Like mm-hmm. I think over seventy percent mm-hmm. of customers at the time were, you know, trading cryptocurrency for mm-hmm. payments and um, cross border purpose. So mm-hmm. I felt at the time mm-hmm. that that behavior needed to be enabled. Right, mm-hmm. that it was an opportunity. You know, Africans already taking to crypto yeah. um, for payments. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, at points, you know, considered trying to push like a crypto payment solution within Quidax, but, you know, the focus was um, quite different. I mean, Quidax was really focused on, you know, building that platform, that infrastructure for buying and selling. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's why I left and, you know, founded FlickPay. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously, with support of my co-founders from Quidax. Yeah. So I never was far away from them. Yeah. So I started FlickPay at the time. You started um, as a single founder. Sorry. A solo founder. Um, so when I started FlickPay, I had a co-founder, mm. but um, left just before we transitioned into Fincra. Um, so at FlickPay, then it was a crypto payments gateway. You know, helping businesses accept payments through crypto. I mean, because we're trying to directly enable that. Um, so we're, we're on that journey, um, you know, got into Techstars, um, you know, um, but I think a year into it, um, I sort of realized that, you know, that direction um, was not one I wanted to take and, you know, founded Fincra, you know, as a separate company and, you know, just one down the crypto payments um, solutions with FlickPay. So it was a um, rocky journey, you know, because at the time, um, mm. you know, the Central Bank of Nigeria, you know, came up with the policy, you know, banning ban crypto. crypto yeah, yeah, so that was one of the things that also played into yeah. the decision to just wind up down. Yeah. And so you started Fincra from then, right? Yeah, a few months after. Team. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you pulled the team, FlickPay. So Textiles, right? Um, you are one of the only companies that I know who are building uh, more recently in this new wave of new founders who, you know, if we look statistically speaking, uh, 2022, $1 billion was invested into fintech. Uh, sorry, $1 billion alone was invested into fintech just in Africa alone. And uh, from that, you know, a mere like 500 fintechs, you know, raise, raise money, right? In, in, in that sphere, in that phase of 2022. Um, you guys... Uh, very unique in the sense that you raised from Techstars only uh, $120,000 and haven't gone on to raise further funding from VC or institutional investors or so on. How did you like go through that? Because today, I, I think so many founders believe that if I don't raise a significant amount of money, my business is not going to succeed. But then today you are processing billions of dollars. You have 70 employees on payroll that you have to make sure you're getting salaries in for every single month. You know, be I believe you are profitable. Is that correct? Yes, we're profitable. Yeah, you are profitable as well. 
And so how do you get to that, you know, from just 120K to building this, you know, great business at what Finkra is today? Okay. Um, um, so to be honest, like the, um, the ideology I'm building with, right, you know, didn't just start from FlickPay or Finkra. So it was, it was something that we, we sort of formed even right from the days of Quidax, right? So similar Quidax, you know, Techstars, um, you know, didn't also really raise any other money and, you know, grew to a team of over 100 people. Um, so what the ethos was and always is that, you know, we're building a business and from the first day or from day zero, the plan has always been to be profitable, right? Not just to generate revenues. And in order to do that, in order for you to be profitable, you need to be making more than what you're spending, yeah. right? And you need to be sure that what you're building you know, people talk about product market fits, but we also look at revenue market fits, mm. right? So um, if a product is not making revenue or is not going to make revenue, there's no point building it, mm. right? Um, if you have product market fits, then customers should be willing to pay for your product and, um, you know, get into that point. Before you get to that point, you need to be able to, like, manage your costs. So what we what we'd always do is... Um, so just giving you know an example of um, Quidax again, like I said, when we started, all of the founders, none of us were getting paid, right? You know, none of us were getting paid. Um, we're, <clears throat> we're about five of us. Yeah. So that was five people working on building out the product, just the five of us for the first few months, mm -hmm. not getting paid. So yeah. we're not really thinking about raising. Mm -hmm. You know, our first hire was an intern. Mm. Um, you know, at that point, we already started making very little. Yeah. So it was a case of before we make maybe any additional investments, whether it's into hiring or getting an office or yeah. doing whatever it is, like we have to grow revenues to that point yeah. to be able to afford it, yeah. right? And I feel like that um, intentionality on being profitable doesn't mean that you will eventually become profitable. Like a lot of business might not... Yeah. become pro profitable and fail but it makes a difference if you go in knowing that you're trying to be profitable from day one as yeah. opposed to going in feeling like the only way you can break even is by raising vc you know spending so, so, insane on growth but i'm sure those influence right so you you are in, you went through tech stars and you're seeing all these different companies yeah. raise money and you're in the nigerian tech ecosystem which is one of the largest across the african continent where a lot of your peers a lot of your customers today are also raising money was it never a thought was like, hmm, why don't we just make this easier for us and just raise like 500K or something like that in order to like build out our office faster, hire more people faster, scale faster? How did you balance that decision making point? Okay. Um, yeah, there was, there was definitely influence. Um, so just after Techstars, um, I think we're done with our Techstars class in 2020 April. Um, yeah, 2020 April. I mean, that was that was when COVID started, lockdown. Um, so we were actually going to raise, we're going to raise about 600K. Um, and then we started the process, you know, fundraising, yeah. speaking to investors. Yeah. You know, at some point, I getting some commitments. Mm -hmm. But what I realized was that the process of raising was so tedious. Yeah. Like, and because we're a very small team, at the time, I think we're about five. Yeah. Um, we're just about five. Yeah. Um, we're a very small team, and I was, you know, very integral to product, to yeah. a bunch of 
um, portfolios within the company. So a lot of things were suffering yeah. because of the raise. And, you know, this was the COVID year yeah. when lockdown started. So investors were not really writing checks, trying to see yeah. how the market was going to be. So it was like two months into the process. It was so, super tedious. And we were able to hit revenue market fit. So we made some nice revenue at the end of the second month. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, right. we need the cash. With this money that we've raised, with, with this money that we just made, you know, this could, you know, cover us one year or 18 months burn. That's in addition to the 120K because we're spending so little. We're mm. so frugal with how we're spending money, right? I mean, it's ridiculous how much we're spending every month. Yeah. I can't even say it was so little. Yeah. So with that, with the amount of money we made as revenue, I think it was at the pace we're at, it was like, this was like two-year runway. So I'm like, if I'm trying to raise here to scale my team and do that, like, do we really need that at the point? So I'm like, you know what, let me instead focus on trying to grow this revenue yeah. that I've started to see, um, as opposed to trying to raise the money. And so I just switched my focus, you know, told all the um, VCs, even the ones that committed, like, oh, I'm not fundraising anymore. And, you know, we, we just grew revenue month on month. Yeah. And I think we're profitable, um, we're profitable as at our eighth month into wow. the business. Wow. So just, you know, grew from there. I mean, so profitable doesn't mean we're making like millions yeah. of dollars, right? Yeah. So maybe it could have You'll been give 5K, away, bro. <laughs> but just to ensure that yeah. we're making more than what we're spending. Right. And we just, you know, kept on trying to grow profits. Yeah. And not just growing profits. One of the things that we look at, in fact, one of the most important numbers to us yeah. is our capital position, right? Mm. So it's one thing to grow profits, then it's another thing of, mm. okay, of all the profits you're growing, yeah. how much cash do you have that belongs to the company? Yeah. So every day, that's like something I look at today, yeah. you know, growing the capital position, growing the capital base, you know, um, that's the bottom line for every business, whether you're a startup or a bank or yeah. traditional business. So How do you deal with float management? For example, Today, you're moving billions of dollars, right? If you only raised 120K, were you striking deals with banks that would pre-fund you float or things like that? How did you manage? Because it's not easy to move a billion dollars. But how did you get to that position you're doing that today? Well, um, we never took, I mean, we never took any debts from a bank. And I don't think there's any like special partnership that we had. Um, it's actually an interesting question. How we've done it without... Floats. I, I don't think we've not really struggled for liquidity and moving money. So I guess, um, you know, it's just based on how we, um, like, it's still part of the ethos, right? So one of the things I see that um, founders do a lot, particularly startup founders, is, you know, stuff like, you know, selling your products for free. And these are products that you're paying for, you know, free. I think free doesn't work, right? If you're building a product, you have to charge money for it. Yeah. You have to make money for it. Or doing stuff like... Um, maybe giving instant settlements when you are not getting settled instantly, right? So we wouldn't do that as a business because if you're doing that, then it means you need to um, get floats from somewhere. So you're either taking debts or, you know, you, have, you need capital to do stuff like that. But for us, is if we're getting settled instantly, we can settle you instantly. If we're getting settled T plus one, we settle you T plus one. So um, based on that, it's, we, we just manage our floats um, from what we have in our accounts. We've never really had to do anything super special at this point um, mm -hmm. in managing the business. How do you manage treasury? 
uh, it's an art I think you have done better than many companies across the continent where you operate in five countries across Africa, uh, Kenya, Uganda, Ghana, Zambia, Nigeria, and Treasury because you know if you look at Africa uh, look at the African continent, there's a massive dollar shortage. So therefore, in many countries, the bid versus mid ask rate is very different, can range or flex up to 4%. In markets like Nigeria, you have the black market rate for Naira, but you also have the central bank rate for Naira as well. Huge difference in between, right? How do you manage treasury as you're building these markets where there's so much volatility around currency risk? Okay, um, so I'd say that's like one of our core strengths um, as a business, um, our treasury management and you know, how we've been able to hack it released by um, understanding like incentives of all the players in the markets, right? So who is generating the liquidity, who are the um, takers in the markets, right? And, you know, how can you, you know, get them together, right? And also maybe source from these partners. So we have so many trading partners, right? You know, banks, um, PSPs, um, aggregators, you know, a lot of them, exporters, um, so it's basically just balancing all of them. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's, and, you know, of course there have been challenges as you can imagine, right? You know, um, you can have a situation where, you know, I'll give an example. Mm. So say you're, um, balancing treasury between GBP and GHS, mm. right? So there was a time when, you know, the pounds was losing against the dollar. Yeah. And CDs was losing against every currency. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, it was like last a, year, 2022. Yeah. Towards the end, yeah. So there was a period where there was like a five or five to ten percent devaluation yeah. within two weeks on yeah. CDs and about two to three percent devaluation on pounds. And we had position in yeah. pounds and CDs. So it's like, where do you stay? If you're on GBP, it's falling. If you're yeah. on GHS, it's falling. Yeah. You know, so, so there are times when, you know, it's, it's so it's difficult really to. I'll manage, but you know, I I, I think my um, treasury is like one of the strongest parts of our business. Yeah. Today, you guys enable businesses to collect and make payments, but you also other offer other services like you know treasury functions. Uh, what else uh, is coming this year that you're looking forward to be building, or that you you'd like to share with people listening? Okay. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of people, um, and that's like that. One of the things that we're trying to do better now is to. Or make all the products that we're building to be more obvious, right? So a lot of people just see us, you know, from send, sending money or yeah. virtual accounts, but um, we are we are an offline and online payment infrastructure company. Yeah. So what that means is um, we play um, heavily in the agency banking space, yeah. right? So we enable um, super agents, commercial banks, and other operators to run and manage their agent networks through our white label platform and mm-hmm. APIs. Um, we also help merchants accept offline payments through POS terminals, mm-hmm. through transfer and the likes. Um, um, then we also issue um, bank accounts, yeah. Naira accounts, USD accounts, GBP, Euro yeah. for individuals and also for businesses. Yeah. Um, we offer other value-added services like airtime, bills yeah. payments, via API. Of yeah. course, we do money transfer across Africa, UK, Europe, China, yeah. North America. Um, and I would say one of the um, new products that we'll be launching soon yeah. will be our virtual card issuance. Because, I mean, nice. um, you know, card payments, dollar payments is still a great yeah. pain yeah. Um, in Nigeria and some other countries in Africa. So 
um, in the next couple of weeks, months, we'll be launching our card insurance APIs for businesses. Nice. Who did, if you look at the African continent, there are so many payment aggregators and people who do very similar things to you guys. What do you say you guys do better than most people? Okay. Um, one of the one of the key things I would say is our strength um, in terms of um, our offering compared to our competitors. I would say our treasury. So our treasury is one of our core strength, and you know that really helps us. Um, you know, in, in terms of dealing with these businesses. Um, another thing would be um, our attention to our customers, right? So I would say we are a very customer centric. Um, entity um, our roadmap is largely dependent on our customers so the way we prioritize um, stuff on our roadmap is um, number one for customer experience um, number two for customer pain points so if there's any bug any complaints on customer it automatically goes up so the last thing that we have in our roadmap is new features right so new features are actually the lowest priority because mm-hmm. i mean if you have um, customers already transacting with you mm-hmm. making the experience better or solving their problems is always more important yeah. than what you know you're trying to achieve and i feel like a lot of our customers really appreciate us for that because they can see that very clearly that they are the ones driving our roadmap yeah. um we also offer dedicated support to virtually all of our customers mm-hmm. right so they, they basically work with our team like it's their team yeah. so we create you know slack channels mm-hmm. skype channels mm-hmm. for most of our merchants where they can engage with you know mm-hmm. our engineers mm-hmm. you know relationship manager technical yeah. account managers sometimes also with you know our settlement team yeah depending on the uh, merchants category and you know yeah. that gives them that feeling that sure you know they can always speak to yeah. um think right in time and you but know it, i'm also very strongly customer facing so all almost all of my customers you know call me text me every day and i, I feel like that also makes a difference yeah um for our customers this is true we are a customer as, as nala for Finkra. um i i call Wode, um often and i bother him um, primarily, I ask him to take me out to lunch, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to try, you know, I, I was told, because you operate in Ghana and Nigeria, I was told that the Ghanaian jollof is better than Nigerian jollof, but you know, I have to. No way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about some personal elements of building. Um, what have been, what was one of the most difficult moments for you when building Finkra? Hmm. Well, um, while building Finkra, um, so um, I've I've not really reflected on that um, before now. So I've had some difficult moments. Um, the most difficult, I'm not sure, but I mean one of the like more you know difficult experiences have been like maybe dealing with fraud, um, managing fraud um, issues, right? I mean, if you're doing fintech, um, you know, fraud is something that you have to, um, you know, deal with a lot, you know, particularly on the infrastructure side. Um, so managing some of those fraud issues, you know, having to engage with law enforcement, with regulators, with customers, trying to recover stuff, you know, has been very difficult um, in the times we've had that. Um, then also losing some particular people, um, you know, there are maybe one or two staff exits that we've had that's, you know, been very, you know, tough for me. 
Um, so, I mean, like one of the things that a lot of fintechs have or startups struggled with, um, maybe particularly from 2022, has been like the great exits, more so for Nigerian businesses, right? So, the macroeconomic condition makes it such that, you know, most Nigerian youth, a lot of Nigerian youth don't want to, you know, be in Nigeria anymore. They don't want to work in Nigeria. So, everyone is trying to jackpot um, <laughs> yeah. as, as such. So, um, so, there's one or two people that left that was you know really really tough for me you know struggling to see how could you i could really replace them um and some we've really struggled to replace but um so yeah i think those would be the tough moments but other than that you know i'm very grateful to god um so far we've had more ups than downs when somebody you trusted who's working really close to you and reporting to you decides to leave how do you navigate that? Um, so it's, it's become easier for me to navigate that now because, you know, I've had a few of those um, early on. Do you ever feel betrayed when that happens? I, I used to feel betrayed early on, you know, take it very personal, you know, try to convince them, um, you know, eventually feel sad. Um, you know, all of those feelings, sadness, betrayal, but I mean... After like a few months or weeks, right, you know, I, I come to realize that, you know, sometimes like leaving might not necessarily be the end of the road. There's still something that could happen in the future. And then like, um, it's, it's life. It's life. Like people leave. So like right now, I'm a lot more adjusted to the idea that people leave. Anyone can leave. Right, so so I, I would say maybe I've built some kind of um, muscle to deal with that. Um, also, on the other end, right, um, you know, we've been seeing all the layoffs that have been happening in tech industry in general. Same way, like you know, your employees will see it. So yeah, you might be sad about your employee leaving, but you know, when it comes down to it, if you have to let someone go, you would also let them go, and they would also be sad about leaving, right? So it's um, you know, those relationship employer-employee, at the end of the day, is based on a contract, right? So even though those emotions can get into it, um, you know, I feel like you'll be better um, if you don't attach so much emotions to, to it. Well, it used to be very tough for me. Like, I mean, like one of my toughest moments was um, one of, you know, my dear employees leaving um, sometime last year. But, you know, I think... I'm, I'm much adjusted to people living now. How do you cope with these things as a founder? Like being a founder, a solo founder can be very lonely. How do you deal with that? Um, yeah, sometimes it does feel lonely. Um, although I have like lots of people um, that I get advice from, that I can still speak to within my team, you know, strong advisors, um, some of the directors in my company. Um, so I have people that, you know, I, I, I can still, um, you know, rely on in those moments, my wife. Um, um, but in general, like now when, you know, I have um, challenges, at work, you know, I, I, I just try not to focus so much on the challenge, but identify like a way for the solution and, you know, just completely throw myself into it. So I wouldn't now maybe just sit down and decide like, oh, this happened. 
you know, sometimes it gets to you, but I try not to focus on those challenges. One thing I've also come to learn is that, um, you know, challenges is like a very big part of the job, right? A very big part of building a successful company is by having big problems. And the bigger you grow, the bigger the problems, you know, you would face. And, you know, so you just have to protect your hearts, protect your, you know, your mind um, to just, you know, ensure that everything is okay. And, you know, at some point, you know, I started speaking, you know, to someone professionally as well to, you know, deal with all of the stress. Is this a coach or a therapist? Both. So you speak to them monthly or weekly or? Um, so not anymore now, but I, um, at the peak of it, it used to be weekly. How does your wife feel about everything that you're doing and the amount of stress it brings you? Um, she's she's the most supportive um, person in, on my journey. Um, she's a very critical part of journey, you know, involved in a lot of decisions that I make. Um, initially, it used to be very tough um, because, you know, I used to work um, maybe about, I used to work for about 15 to 18 hours a day at the very early stage. I mean, maybe now I work 15, 16 hours a day. So that would mean like, you know, wake up and, you know, start working from 8 a.m. to 12 a.m., 1 a.m. every day. Um, and, you know, sometimes those kind of things like, you know, put a strain, it's difficult to, difficult to understand why your partner is always so busy, not available. Even when I got married on, on my wedding day, I worked on that day, so I did not go and leave. There was no honeymoon. I know she, we're still going to have the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, if you're listening to this, the honeymoon is still going to happen. But, you know, I worked on that day. I worked the entire weekend. Um, I think I got married on a Thursday, worked that day, worked on Friday. The entire weekend, I was back to the office on Monday. Um, but, I mean, now she's, she has come to understand. And I've also... Um, come to find ways to better balance, you know, uh, my work and, you know, also my marriage. But I think understanding is like at the heart of it. You said your wife has been extremely supportive to you in your business and one of the most supportive people in your life. If she was in this room right now, what would you tell her? I would tell her thank you and I love you very much for all the supports. Amazing. As you look at the journey um, and tough moments that you've been at, that that you know you guys have done quite a lot as a business uh, and grown into many different aspects, uh, expanding to many countries across the continent. As you said, the bigger you get, the bigger problems you face. When a central bank calls you and says, "Wale, we want you in the office next week today," um, how do you deal with that now versus how you used to deal with that previously? So previously, I used to panic with you know those kind of things regulators, you know, all of that. But, you know, now we just, we just face it because, I mean, um, maybe, you know, the earlier days, panicking because not really having experience with managing stuff like that. But, you know, now it's, it's a lot easier. We have, like, relationships, you know, with a lot of the regulators. We have experience managing them and um, you know, just because we know that we, we're not really doing anything wrong and, you know, we're, we're pretty sure of all our processes. So there's more confidence even when these issues 
come up, right? Um, so it's, we interface with different regulators, um, you know, almost on a weekly basis, right? For you know different reasons, but it's it's something that you know we're not so scared of anymore. If you were to close your eyes and start all over again today, building Finkra, what are two things you do differently? Okay, um, so number one. I'll be more intentional about our hiring process, right? So, um, you know, yeah, I'll be more intentional about our hiring process. Um, then number two, I, I think that'll, that'll be it, because, I mean, that encompasses everything. Um, so it's just about the people. I mean, we have great people, Right, we have very great people um, working with the team, um, but you know, um, you know, there are certain roles, you know, um, that maybe we might have hired earlier, like maybe like with sales, um, you know, having more people in sales. So you know, that's that's one of the interesting things at Finkra. We have very few sales salespeople, um, but I mean, we've been able to achieve a lot. So definitely, if I if I could start again, I'll hire more salespeople earlier. Um, and you know, just be more intentional about the process, the people. Do you have any regrets in your Finkra journey? No, no regrets. How do you deal with I wish I knew this three years ago? Um so we haven't really had a lot of those moments yet. So maybe at some point we might have it more like um, starting Finkra, there was like we we had a very good knowledge of the markets. Um, we had very good knowledge of the products, the customers, the problems. So I would say we knew like basically everything that we had to do. But definitely, I would say in execution, we could have executed on a lot of things better, right? So we've grown quite big, but we could have been a lot bigger if we executed on some certain things faster or better but I mean every day is like it's about learning improvements growing and um, you know we're a young company and you know one of the benefits of not you know really raising from VCs or institutional capital is that we get to learn at our own pace and um, the pressure the pressure to grow is not as much as maybe what a a VC funded company would be. So now that's not to say we're not trying to grow or we're trying to, you know, just chill. But, you know, um, if we're able to cover our costs, you know, and still remain in profits, that allows us to have like a more long-term approach to everything that we're doing. So we could do this for the next 10 years. You know, we could do this for the next 20, 30 years. We could think about it and, you know, make plans and follow through. Um, So, yeah. What does exit look like for you? Do you, like, is it IPO? Is it acquisition? Is it you want to be at Finkor for the rest of your life? Like, yeah, what does that mean for you? Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, my goal You got to take your wife on honeymoon at some point, right? So she's, <laughs> she's waiting like, hey, man, like, look, you know, I've done this no salary thing for a long time now. So uh, what's when? Yeah. Okay, so, so little, little secrets. So I'm I'm getting married again in I think in two years. So when when we hit five years, we're gonna do another wedding. 
Right. Is that the one I'm going to get invited to? Because I wasn't invited to the last <laughs> one. <laughs> no, so the last one was crazy. I, I only had 12 people at my wedding. Okay. It was no party, just cause. But this one is going to be a big wedding. Um, but, and yes, definitely will be honeymoon. But my wife and I actually spend a lot of time together. We travel a lot together. Um, we travel a lot together. But exits, I don't really think so much about exits. I think about profits. You know, I think about making more money. I think about paying my employees better. I think about getting bigger bonuses. So, like, you know, exits for, you know, founders is about liquidity, right? Liquidity from the exit or maybe doing something different. So for us at Finkra, you know, we have a vision that we're building towards, you know, um, just like you said, you know, payments is 1% built in Africa. So there's a lot of ground to cover, right? And, you know, as long as we're getting the cash, getting, you know, paid well, you know, being able to live a very good life, um, and, you know, exits is not something that's, you know, is at the top of my mind. You talk about team and team being very important, right? In this world of significant VC funding that happened in 2021, 2022, uh, was like kind of an adjustment period. 2023 is a full correction period that's, that's kicking off yeah. now and we're going to see a lot of adjustments happening. How do you see yourself retaining employees when maybe a lot of them consistently are getting offers from competitors here, left, right, and center. And those competitors have VC-backed money that maybe you don't have today, right? And how do you see yourself building that culture of like, hey, look, I know they can pay you significantly more, but like, here's why this is really important for us uh, to, to have you on the team. How do you, you know, balance those two things out? Okay, um, so uh, medium to long-term um, strategy um, in terms of um, retention, um, you know, it's, it's really tied to our revenue, right? So one of my biggest motivations um, in wanting to, like, make a lot more money and make more profits is so we can pay our people better, right? So I've always told my team, you know, I, I see a future, which can be now, depending on how we perform. I see a future where we'll be able to pay competitively with, you know, um, against any VC-backed company or even a U.S. company or a U.K. company, right? So I, I see a point where we're able to, you know, afford to pay at that level, right? And um, even at the level we're at now, I think um, our pay is quite competitive compared to the Nigerian markets. So even um, compared to a lot of the VC-funded companies, um, we all, always try to um, pay bonuses to our employees, um, every year, sometimes twice a year. Um, um, I think most, if not all, of our employees also have some um, stock options within the company. Uh, we've come up with so many policies like, you know, um, work station financing, um, vehicle financing, um, interest-free loans. Um, so there are different perks that we try to um, come up with. Like, we're 100% a remote company. So that also helps with retention where everyone can work from home or from wherever. Even relocation policy, right? So at, at the point where it seemed like everyone was trying to like move, so we take we took like a proactive approach of creating a re relocation policy where you know staff that wants to maybe move out of Nigeria or you know move to another country. Japa. Yeah, to Japa. We actually help them yeah. in the process. You help them Japa. Yeah, we help them Japa. <laughs> it's the Japa policy at Finkra. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have one. And, you know, a, a bunch of people are, you know, in the process yeah. of, you know, um, taking on that policy. Actually, a few people have, you know, mm. um, leveraged that policy. So we even give, you know, loans for them to set up. 
mm. wherever it is they are going. But of course, we expect them to yeah. repay the loan and to repay the faith yeah. by you know staying with us. But that again puts us under pressure because definitely, they, if someone maybe moves to maybe the UK or the US, we have to start thinking about the competitiveness of the salary based on the cost of living. So that's why we have to make more money. That's one of the major reasons yeah. we have to make more money. So while I've seen your tweets here and there, it seems like there's two things that are really important to you. One is Manchester City, uh, which we'll discuss, uh, which is a mistake. Um, and then the second one is your faith. Is faith important to you and why? Oh, yeah, very, very important. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a strong Christian. Um, I mean, I, I grew up a Christian, but these days I, I'm, I, I try to be more, um, you know, more vocal about it, more intentional. And I mean, like, you know, I, like, you know, they always, we always say in my church, you know, the purpose, the purpose for why we're created as humans is to, um, to know God and to make him known, you know, to people. So, um, you know, I, I just always have to talk about it as often as I can. Is that tough for you sometimes at work? Not really. Not really. I think my people are used to it. But one of the things I want to start doing is inviting people to church. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I guess when I come to to Lagos, you're going to take me to your church then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Now, what are you looking forward to most this year? Okay. Um, this year, um, I'm, I'm on a personal basis. Um, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to being able to, you know, operate more like strategically, right? So I, at work, you know, I still sort of find myself all over the place, right, here and there. So I'm, you know, this year I'm trying to basically um, establish like a sense of calm in our operations, right, where everything works smoothly without, you know, people having to. Um, just be all over the place, right? That's one of the key things I'm um, working on. So that's like operational excellence. Um, another thing I'm, I'm looking forward to this year is, you know, making a lot of money. And I, I, I want to, I want us to make a lot of money this year. I feel like, um, I feel like there's so many opportunities this year, and um, you know, it's still early in the year. We're still in Q1, and. Um, with the right execution, um, I, I believe that we're going to hit our goals for the year. So our revenue goals is something I think about every day. Um, looking forward to that. Nice. Cool. I have a quick fire round of questions. Before that, I have uh, one of the questions I ask everybody in the show. Okay. What matters to you most in life and why? What's matter to me most in life? Um, hmm. I'll say family, right? Um, and you know, family. So family in this context is not necessarily always like blood family. So family and friends are like family, right? Because I mean, whatever it is, all the highs and lows. Without family, like it, it doesn't mean anything. Like if I make all the money in the world and I don't have family, I don't have a wife, I don't have friends, I don't have siblings, I don't have parents. You know, there's there's literally no joy in life without family. So I think you know that's what matters most to me family um okay now we have a, a quick fire round of questions really important questions that, that we need to resolve today okay all right important one 
Ronaldo or Messi? I I used to say Ronaldo, but Messi is really better. But I love Ronaldo. Wow, I think we should just end the show right there because I kick this guy out of the office. <laughs> I, I, I used to be the biggest Ronaldo yeah. fan, but yeah. you know, uh, Messi is, is. I mean, watch football; your eyes is very yeah. obvious. You can't talk about watching. You support Manchester City. You tell me you watch football in the eyes. Like everybody who supports Manchester City started supporting them in the last like three, four years. No, I said supporting Manchester in two thousand and nine. Yeah, after the big funding came through. It says the guy who doesn't take VC funding and now is supporting the team with the most funding. I'm seeing all United fans clamoring for the Qatar investments. Hey, oh, yeah, can't come and buy United, you know? So I'm, I, I used to be a United fan, actually. You used to be a United fan and now you're a Manchester City fan. Yeah. This is a big problem. we got to solve this at Finca. So I, I stopped yeah. supporting my United when Ronaldo went to Madrid. And then, like, when he was playing dross football, mm. even though, you know, they were winning the leagues, I never really liked the Fergie football mm. style. So I, I believe I saw the future. I knew Manchester was going to be successful. He said he saw the future. Yeah, but you still haven't won any Champions Leagues as well. We will we'll park that for the... It will come. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this year. He's been saying that for the last 10 years. So. <laughs> Maybe this year. This year he says this year's our year. All right, other, other quick fire round. Davido or Whiskid? Whiskid is the greatest. Whiskid is the greatest. Yeah. Bigger than Burner Boy for you. Whiskid is the greatest. There's no comparison. Burner Boy is trying, but Whiskid is the big fish. The big fish. Yes. Ejanla. Yeah. The cha- Machala. Machala. Yeah, that's Whiskid. All day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've been spending more time in East Africa. Have you explored the East African music scene? Not so much because everywhere I go, they play Nigerian ah, music. Everywhere yeah. this I go. Is the confi- it's the confidence for me. Can you imagine? Everywhere it's, I go, yeah. Nigerian Niger- music. Nigerian music, I'm a piano. Okay, there's no East African music. I, I very little. So there's this song. Yeah. Um, sour Sour. Okay. one Sour Sour song. Okay. I really like the song. Okay. That's, that's like the only East African song. Yeah. Oh. I mean, there's some South Soul, but. Yeah. Um, Man, he didn't even it's say it. Tans- he didn't even mention diamond platinums, but you know it's okay. We'll leave it at that. You know, we'll, 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 we'll park. You know, it's, it's fine. All right. So, given you're from Nigeria, why do you spend so much time apart from business? Why are you spending so much time in East Africa? I I really love Nairobi so much. Um, you know, the people, the city. Yeah. Um, you know, everywhere is beautiful. Um, it's mm. um, it's what is like for me. It's like what a perfect Lagos could look like you know mm. things work um you know people are nice there's some traffic but very manageable very mm. predictable not as much as lagos uh no <laughs> i mean lagos is one of the worst out there in the world with that so yeah i really i really love Nairobi. I mean, every time i come the experience is always like you know so delightful and then you know there's so much emphasis on nature here so even when you're around just driving around you get to you know interact with nature more here and, you know, when you think about it in Kenya, there's so many beautiful places, you know, Diani. And, Yo, man, and, this guy said Diani to a guy from Tanzania who has Zanzibar. No, so, so you know what? <laughs> when I wanted to go to um, the coastal area, yeah. so I was thinking Diani, Zanzibar, or uh, what's this other popular one? Um, Mafia Island or Lamo? You know, Kunda, um, along the coastline. What was the popular? Or Maldives? No, no, in Kenya. I don't know. Mombasa. Bro, this guy said Mombasa. You could go to Dar es Salaam instead of Mombasa, bro. So I was thinking about it. um, And then my tour guide told me 
that Diani has the best beach in Africa. Wow. Yo, that tour guide is not... <laughs> no, she actually showed me proof. She told me that for seven straight years, there's this company that does the rating that Diani has been winning, you know, the best beach in Africa. Yo, you guys who are watching this, tell me in the comments, <laughs> Diani or Zanzibar. This guy, look at these false claims about Diani being the best beaches in Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I went there and I had one of Have the Have you most... been to Zanzibar yet? Not yet. Yeah, see, see, that's that's. Come on, man. I'll, I'll do Zanzibar soon, but no. before then, I want to do like a tour of the Kenyan coast. You know, Watamu. Mm. You know, mm. all of them. So maybe that's the honeymoon tour you'll be doing with your. Yeah, wife. maybe. Yeah, maybe just go to all the coastal cities. I love that. Right. Food is a really important part of East African culture. So, what do you prefer? East African biryani or jollof rice? Jollof rice. Have you tried proper East African biryani? Yes, I do. I, yeah. I have and I like it. Yeah. I like it. I like biryani. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like West Africa will have the best food in the world. Wow. It's the confidence for me, man. Yeah. I thought I saw you eating Indian food the other day, but, you know, we'll let that one slide. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Wole uh, here with us today on the Build Our Africa Speaker Series. It's really inspiring to hear his journey from starting the company from zero people all the way to over 70 people acro- operating across five countries in Africa and many more to come with new products enabling businesses to collect money as well as make payouts. And now with card issuing services coming very soon, very grateful for you to, to be here processing in billions of dollars across the African continent. It's really inspiring. And thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you Where can people find uh, and learn more about Fincra? Um, Fincra.com, our websites, and then um, our social media, Fincra HQ, on Twitter, on Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Fincra. So just, you know, reach out to us, sign up and, you know, let's power your payments. Yeah, let's make payments happen. Payments to 1% build. There's so much more to come and you're working towards it. Thank Thanks you. So Cheers.